For those of you thinking uh, Bailey's late or he's not in the room yet, that, it, it's, it's by design. He's not here this morning. He and his family are in the DFW area with uh, uh, Bailey's family and Randa's family celebrating uh, Christmas. And so uh, it, it happened that uh, he was going to be gone and we needed someone to preach. And I said, uh, I'll do both. So I'm sorry if you're tired of my voice because it's not going to change for another little while. But hopefully, uh, hopefully that's not the case. So um, I get a chance to, to do both things this morning, which is uh, a blessing to me, and uh, I, will, I will have a nap later. So that's how that goes. Um, this morning, uh, we want to talk a little bit about um, kind of this uh, experience that we've all probably had over the last couple of weeks. Many of you have probably participated in some form of the uh, Christmas morning gift opening ritual, right? Right? Um, to, to some degree. And, and, and some of us, if you're like my family, you probably do this a number of times. I was, we were doing the math the other day and we realized that uh, our girls for at least a while uh, we'll, we'll have four Christmases every year, which is a little mind-boggling. Um, and then Eleanor, our oldest, has her, her birthday on January 3rd. So we're going to have some, uh, some rearing to do the first couple weeks of January, right, to, to get things back in order. But, but most of us have done this or, or have done this at some point or are currently still doing it. We have one more Christmas left uh, this coming week in our family in Waco. And uh, we all know it. The, the way it traditionally works is on Christmas morning, you wake up, you go to the tree, there's, there's gifts there, and, and there's this sense of joy in opening these gifts. We bask in the joy of the gifts, right? And, and there's kind of two ways that this joy works. The first way is we bask in the joy of receiving someone's thoughtfulness, right? Someone has gone out of their way to, to, to be thoughtful about uh, what you need, what you like, who you are, what colors uh, you like, all these different things. And they go and they find something just for you and they wrap it up. And I'm going to tell you, if it was up to me, we'd just Amazon everything to their house and call it a day because I don't, I don't get wrapping, but that's okay. That's not my function in this, in this thing, right? But uh, somebody took the time to wrap this gift and to give it to you, right? And so there's that joy of that thoughtfulness that you're receiving. And then there's also the joy you bask in and the thoughtfulness that you're giving, right? We have a chance to, to, to uh, think about the loved ones and the family in our lives and to go out and to pick a gift for them and to wrap it. Um, joy, not so joyful wrapping, but to, to wrap it and to give it to them. And we bask in the joy of giving that thoughtfulness. And so there's, there's kind of a lot of this emotional sensationalism, a lot of this great nostalgia that plays into that experience. And in a very similar way, many of you, uh, either here or some other church, uh, came to a Christmas Eve service and you participated in the candle lighting ritual right at the end, this candle lighting liturgy at the end. And there's a lot of great uh, stuff to that. There's a lot of great imagery, a lot of, a lot of great theology to that, a lot of great formational stuff to that. But there's also, and not that this is a bad thing. There's also a lot of emotional sensationalism to it, right? There's also this, I've been doing this since I was a kid, and now my kids are getting to do it, and our kids are getting to experience this with us. And, and let me tell you, I, I was getting to look out into the congregation that night, and, and I can see in the adults the little kid come out of you, right? There's a, there's a kind of joy in that moment that even you adults have, and, and your kids see that. And there's something really beautiful, something really great that happens there. But it's this emotionally sensational experience. It's this nostalgic experience. So here we, we have all of this stuff that happens all around the same time, right? At Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and we do all these things. And, and then now 
we fast forward to today, and here we find ourselves in the first Sunday after Christmas, right? The presents have been opened. They're being used or being, uh, the, the presents are being played with, or maybe some of them have been put away in a place to be used later. Some of them may get forgotten. Who here is guilty of that? I know I've done that a time or two. Put some here and I say, I'll remember where that is, and then I hide it a little too well for myself, right? So some things get put away and they maybe get forgotten. Uh, some things get get returned because they're not quite the right thing, and, and that's okay. There's grace for that. Um, and so the presents have been opened, and they're being used in the same way the Christ child is born. He's here with us, God incarnate with us. God has been given, God in the form of Jesus has been given to us and for us. So we find ourselves in the first week after Christmas, and we ask ourselves, now what? What's the next thing? We've experienced all this joy. What's the next thing? What's the next piece of joy that we get? Because, you see, there's something fascinating that happens in our brain. Uh, our brain has this interesting little relationship with a chemical called dopamine, right? And dopamine is kind of this chemical of joy and more joy and more joy. And you get it, right? It goes on and on and on. It's the gift that keeps on giving almost to a fault. Dopamine, the way it, kind of, it works in this instance specifically is that dopamine releases in our brain as an anticipation, to something that's expected, not really uh, whenever we are doing the thing. It's an anticipation of whatever joyful experience, whatever emotional experience we have. And obviously, dopamine serves a lot of other functions in our brain and in our body. But, but in, this, in this sense, dopamine kind of serves this role of, of reinforcement, right? It begins to shape and condition the way that we think and the way that we work, it conditions us to go back for more and more and more of the things that bring us joy until we're satisfied. But see, that, that's kind of the tricky thing with uh, dopamine in our brain is that uh, satisfaction is, is difficult. Satisfaction is a bit enigmatic. It's a bit nebulous. It's not really something that we're ever going to achieve when it comes to satisfaction in relation to this experience of dopamine, this experience of this hit of joy, if you will. And so uh, there's, there's this thing that scientists look at. It's called the dopamine loop where we experience this, this great thing and then we, we're looking for it again and we go back and we go back and we go back. And in a little bit of, of our cultural terms, um, who here has heard of the social media loop? Anybody? It's kind of self-explanatory. It's this thing where we go to uh, whatever social media platform we have on our phone or whatever. We open it up and you just start scrolling. You start scrolling and before you know it, time has wasted away, and you're still going, you're still going. Um, some people here uh, who have been out of school for the past week or so may have experienced the next episode loop, right? Right? I'm, 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 I see some faces that are smiling that, that don't want to give themselves up, but it's just, you know, when you watch Netflix or you watch whatever, uh, Disney Plus or whatever it is that you're watching right now, um, it, you finish this episode, and, and it very conveniently says, starting the next episode in five, four, three, right? And it's this next episode loop, and it just keeps going and going, and we get this, uh, this hit of joy every time this new episode starts, and we hear the, the theme song to whatever show or whatever thing it is that we're watching. And, and the scrolling loop, right, is the same thing with social, social media. 
And, and, and the thing about this loop is that it can go on and on and on for quite a period of time. And the problem with it is that it's very difficult to, within yourself, break yourself out of that loop. More often than not, some exterior thing or some great sense of, I've got to get things done, has to well up within you. But usually some exterior thing has to come in and, and, and stop you in the middle of it. Sometimes, I know with me, sometimes I'm, I'm there and I'm going and somebody calls me and I think, well, that's inconvenient. I was looking at something, right? And, and, and so something, some exterior thing has to come in and stop us from being stuck on that loop because you see dopamine that this dopamine loop does not have satiety built in there's no sense of satisfaction that you're going to get from these loops not satisfaction that will last at least so in this season that we've been talking about we have these kind of two stories we have this this church narrative of advent and christmas and then we have this cultural narrative of advent and christmas and we talked a little bit about that before in advent we have these four or five weeks depending on the year of build up towards christmas and we sing all these songs and we do all the things we light the wreath and we have all the sights and the sounds of christmas and then it comes and then a lot of times it's over here in a couple weeks all this stuff will be gone and it'll all be over. And in a very similar way, um, the, the, our culture does the same thing. And one, one of the things I find interesting is, you know, at, uh, the Christmas season is, is still going on. We are currently in the Christmas season as it relates to the classical church calendar. We were getting home on Christmas Day, or we were leaving Christmas Day in the afternoon to go see my family in Plainview. And I saw some of a neighbor a couple houses down taking their lights down. And I thought, come on. Leave them, you know, make it worth your while at least. But this is the Christmas season. This is the time to have your lights up. And so we, we, we come through, we get to this point, and then it's over, and all the things get put away. And in our cultural narrative, uh, we're kind of sold this idea in this Christmas season that we're going to buy stuff for other people that they want, and they're going to love, and they're going to reciprocate, right? That we're going to spend this great quality time with friends and family that we all get along with and all have the same ideological beliefs, and there's not going to be any problems, right? Right? Probably not so much. That we're going to spend all this time with this family that, that, that's just easy to get along with. And sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. We were sold this idea that you're going to go to other people's houses and you're going to sleep in uncomfortable places and you're going to get crammed into uncomfortable beds and you're going to smile about it because that's what you do, right? This is what we're sold. And here's, I want to make a point. I'm not saying that these kinds of things, you know, like sleeping in a, in a crammed bed in this weird thing is not a bad thing. The, the, the suffering, there's some formational stuff to that suffering. We're going to look a little bit about some of that formational stuff for the people of Israel here in a second. Um, but but the, the, some of the other things that we're told is that you're going to eat all these sweets until you're sick and you're going to love it, right? You're going to be a glutton for happiness, that you're going to be so happy you're not going to know what to do with yourself, and the happiness will never end. But eventually, it does. Eventually, the happiness of the season ends because, because everything gets put away. All the things change. Stores, uh, they've already taken the Christmas stuff down. They've put it on sale. They've thrown it away. I don't know what they do with the stuff that's left over. They've put it on sale. They've gotten rid of it, and they're setting up for Valentine's Day, right? That's the next thing. That's the next thing that we're geared towards, right? Uh, we start looking for the next dopamine fix. We start looking for the next emotional, sensational fix in our lives. The season ends, and we must move on because the sights and sounds that bring the good feelings that trigger this dopamine loop in our lives of Christmas disappear. 
So today's text is kind of an interesting text because it has this very, very similar good feel to it, right? Much like the good feelings of uh, our culture in this Christmas time during Christmas season. And if we're not careful, we do get stuck in this loop looking for the next piece of joy, whether that's in our culture or whether that's in our religious practices, right? We can get stuck in these things, looking for the next thing that's going to bring me a little bit of joy, a little hint of joy. And today in our text, uh, these verses 7 through 9, we read about God's praiseworthiness and all the great mighty deeds that God has done for the people of Israel. Uh, but there's, there's some other things that the prophet is saying here in this uh, 63rd chapter of Isaiah in and around verses 7 through 9. Right, And so to give you a little bit of context about what's happening with the people of Israel when this, this portion of Isaiah is written, really the third portion of Isaiah. So uh, a little before in time, Isaiah prophecies that the, the people of Israel will, will be exiled, will be deported from their land to another place. And about 100 years after his death, it comes to pass. Babylonians come in, they exile the, the people, and they deport them to another land. And then sometime later, some of those people are allowed to come home to Jerusalem. But here's the thing. You see, they were looking for the next hit of joy. They were looking for the next the next emotional experience, and they get back to Jerusalem, and what they find is a place in ruins. What they find is a place that's really hard to live in because it's been destroyed. There's nothing really there for them other than the good feelings of before. And so that's where we find ourselves whenever, when this text is being r- rendered. And so we're going to jump now to, to verses 1 through 6. So this is a little bit before we're going to look at a bit of a bookend of today's text. We read uh, 7 through 9 earlier. We're going to look at 1 through 6 and then verse 10 of this 63rd chapter of Isaiah. Starting in verse 1, it says, The watchmen call out, Who goes there? Marching out of Edom, out of Bozrah, in clothes dyed red. Name yourself, so splendidly dressed, advancing, bristling with power. This is God speaking. It is I. I speak what is right. I, mighty to save. Back to the other voice. And why are your robes so red and your clothes dyed like those who tread grapes? God's voice again. I've been treading the wine press alone. No one was there to help me. Angrily, I stomped the grapes. Raging, I trampled the people. Their blood spurted all over me. All my clothes were soaked with blood. I was set on vengeance. The time for redemption had arrived. I looked around for someone to help. No one. I couldn't believe it. No one, not one, volunteered. So I went ahead and did it myself. Fed and fueled by my rage, I trampled the people in my anger, crushed them underfoot in my wrath, soaked the earth with their lifeblood. So that tone is a little different from the text that we read earlier. We're talking about the praiseworthiness of God and the great and mighty deeds God has done to us. God, we're, we're reading about God's wrath, about God's judgment and the destruction that he's capable of. And later in verse 10, after that 7 through 9 segment that we read today as part of our scripture, we read, but they, that is Israel, turned on him, that is God, They grieved his Holy Spirit, that is God's Holy Spirit. So he turned on them, became their enemy, and fought them. 
Now, there's a lot going on in that text. We're not going to dive into a, a lot of the theological stuff that we could. Uh, but I, I want to I say that I think that there's a couple things that the prophet is trying to say here. And I think the first of which is that the prophet is trying to remind God who Israel is to some degree, who we are. The prophet is saying in this text that, that, we, that Israel is God, our God's chosen people, the people who, yes, did turn on him time and time again, as we read in the text. The people who, as we read, grieved his Holy Spirit time and time again. The people on which he has brought down his wrath upon. But also, the prophet is saying, but these are God's elect by which he will carry out his plan for salvation. The same people he's redeemed from Egypt, the same people he's redeemed from the Babylonian captivity and deportation and brought back home to Jerusalem. These are your people. And the other thing that I think the prophet is doing here is that he's reminding Israel, he's reminding us who exactly God is, the fullness of who God is and the fullness of God's character. He is a wrathful and righteous judge. And aside from all the places that we read about this in the Old Testament and here in, in Isaiah, we also read about uh, God's wrath and his righteous uh, judgment in Romans 2 verse, uh, verse 5 and Ephesians 5 verse 6 and Colossians 3 verse 6 as well. It's there. We read about uh, God's vengefulness here in today's text in verse 4. We read about his rage in verse 5. We read about his anger in verse 6. But we also are being reminded of God's redemption, God's resurrection, God's forgiveness, God's mercy, God's grace, and God's unending and steadfast love. See, we, uh, it's, it's just part of who we are. We tend to want to look at the second half of that list and say, yeah, first half's there, but, you know, it's there. We tend to like to stick to the second half of that list where we talk about all the, the good, feel-good things of God's character and not the kind of uncomfortable, scary things. God is the righteous judge and the source of steadfast love and mercy in our lives. Those two things are inseparable. So in this Christmas season, it would seem that a text like today's, especially verses 1 through 6, don't really make a lot of sense. It would seem that to read about all of this wrath and destruction doesn't make a lot of sense. But I would say it's the perfect time to remember that we do live in a broken world. It's the perfect time to remember that we do live in a world full of death and full of destruction. That's its nature as a post-Genesis 2 world. God's presence in our lives and the gift of Jesus to us doesn't change the fact that that death and destruction is present in this world. It doesn't rid our world of these things. But despite that, our God, the God of grace, of mercy, steadfast love, redemption, the God of life and the God of resurrection is here. So just as we've received socks and toys and things from our family members and we've given them and, and loved ones the same kinds of gifts, um, we've received and we are receiving this gift and these gifts each and every day from the Father in heaven who loves us. So I want to encourage you, church, don't, don't let these gifts get put away in a drawer, in a closet, don't let these gifts get put aside for later when it's easier or more convenient or the time's right. Don't let these gifts put away like sometimes those gifts that we are given at Christmas by one another. 
can from time to time. Let us not put these gifts away, but let's thank God for these gifts. Let's pray and ask God how we can live into and fulfill the gifts that he has given us. Resist the temptation to put the joy that comes with the Advent season and the joy of the Christ child being born in the same box you put your Christmas tree and your ornaments. See, this, this joy that Christ has given us, this joy that our God gives us, is not a joy that is going to cease. This joy goes on. But it only goes on if we seek God's face, if we seek God's will for our lives. So resist the temptation to put that joy that you experience holding that candle on Christmas Eve, that joy that you experience when you feel the fullness of the weight of the truth that the Christ child is born in your life each and every day and lives within you. Resist the temptation to put that joy away with the rest of your Christmas decorations. And resist the temptation to go looking for the next stop in the loop of joy, this dopamine loop. Our culture and our calendar is trying to sell us. So this Christmas season and beyond, remember that our God is the righteous judge. So may our hearts echo the prayer of the prophet in saying, I will recount the glorious deeds of the Lord, the praiseworthy acts of the Lord because of all that the Lord has done for us and the great favor of the house of Israel that he has shown them according to his mercy, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Let's pray, church. Father in heaven, we thank you because we know that your love, the joy that that love brings us, the fullness that that love brings us in our life, the completion that that love brings in us never ends, God. That your love and that your mercy, that your grace know no end. We thank you, God, for the gift of your son Jesus and pray that the joy that we get from that gift would not be satiated, that that joy would not be dulled, that that joy would not go away, but that we would lean into that joy, that we would hold it before us, that we would not let the light of that joy diminish in our lives, but that we would keep it at the forefront of our mind and our heart each and every day as we seek your face and seek to live into the fullness of who you've made us to be. As worshipers of you, we thank you for who you are, God, and pray these things. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.